Well, again, do want to say good morning to you. Welcome. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. This morning, we're going to start a new series. It's going to be a very short study, just about four weeks long. Um, But we've all heard the saying at one point or another, timing is everything. And... Uh, Diane and I have a, a, a couple who's a friend. Uh, they have since moved to West Virginia. He planted a church and pastored it uh, there and actually has just recently moved back into the state. Um, but one time, BJ told a story on his wife, Sarah, uh, about timing. And they were driving while he was a youth pastor here in uh, the Roanoke area and he was driving, he got pulled over for speeding. And so the officer comes up, and they're talking, and after a few minutes, uh, the police officer decides to just give him a warning instead of a ticket. Now, before BJ could roll his window up, and before the police officer could make it back to um, his cruiser, it turns out that My phone wants to do that. Who knew? So before the police officer makes it back to his window, Sarah blurts out, I can't believe this. You always get out of tickets. To which the police officer heard and turned right around and came and decided to give BJ a ticket. Needless to say, her timing was a little bit off on that particular day. This morning, again, we're going to start a a new series, and it's in an Old Testament book that my guess is few, if anybody, have really heard a sermon on or really studied this particular book. It not only gives us a history of Israel after the captivity in Babylon, but this book is also going to give us a glimpse into the attitude of Christians and churches today. So this book, the the book of Haggai, is going to serve as both a warning, but also as a sense of encouragement when things get difficult. So I, I want to encourage you, go ahead, open your Bibles, or if you have an electronic copy, turn them on to the book of Haggai. Now, for those of you who have a paper copy, you're not really sure where that book is, go to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and go back a couple. All right, you got Malachi, then uh, Zechariah, then you're going to come to the book of Haggai here. If you make it to Zephaniah, you've gone one book too far. Um, and it's really easy to kind of flip through this book because it's only two chapters long. But this morning, the one big thing is going to be simply this, that God will not bless us when our priorities are wrong. So let's look at it together. Uh, Haggai chapter 1, I'm going to begin in verse 1 and ask if you're able, would you stand to honor the reading of God's word? It says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and unto Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come. 
the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye look for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is waste, and you run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, the opportunity of just being able to worship you. And now, God, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. God will not bless us when our priorities are wrong. If we were to sum up this chapter, we would do it uh, really with one word, and it's the word apathy. Apathy is defined as indifference. It's not that they didn't know what they were supposed to do. It's, it just wasn't all that important to them. And if we're honest, sometimes apathy creeps into our life. We know the right thing to do, but we sometimes just don't feel like doing it. So how can we strive and fight against apathy in our walk with God. And really there are three biblical points that we can pull out of this text and then a couple to apply it. So the first way that we want to avoid apathy in our walk with Christ is this. Stop making excuses. The book of Haggai takes place after the 70 year captivity there in Babylon. If you were to read the book of Ezra and the book of Isaiah, Uh, you find out that God moved in the heart of the Persian king Cyrus to write the decree to send Israel home. Not only did this decree send Israel back to their homeland, but God moved in Cyrus' heart in such a way that Cyrus, a Gentile, paid for it. Literally, he sends all the, the money, the supplies that... Israel was going to need to rebuild this temple. And so Ezra and Zerubbabel, both who we meet here in our text, or at least Zerubbabel, they lead this first return of Israel back to Jerusalem and their homeland. So this return would have been around 536, 535 B.C. Now, the opening of our book here, Haggai, is 16 years after that. It has been 16 years since Israel did any work on the temple. 
Now, when Cyrus wrote the decree to, to allow them to go back home, they were excited. They got to work and they were working on rebuilding the temple. And then what began to happen is there were some agitators. Some people that didn't know God, didn't love God, and wanted to keep Israel from obeying God. And, and so they started creating all sorts of havoc for uh, Ezra, for Zerubbabel, for, for the Israelites. All right? They made up lives. They smeared the leaders. They did whatever they could to stop the work. And successful. Because from about 535 for 16 years, Israel never touched the temple. See, they had settled into their routine. They had settled into life. They, they had a schedule, so to speak. Now, they probably walked by the temple laying in ruins every single day. They probably even thought, you know, I probably ought to do something about that. We ought to start working on that again. But because of apathy, they ignored it. You know, psychologists would, uh, in, in today's terms, they would call it the bystander effect. Okay, that is when you have several people who are watching the same uh, event and all of them have the same thought. You know, we probably ought to do something. We, we ought to call 911 or something. But nobody does it because they think somebody else is going to do it. And, and this is really what we see happening in the nation of Israel at this time. And so what happens is God sends a prophet, the prophet Haggai. Their attitude about the temple was this. The timing isn't right. Now, God's going to take them to task on this. Because the real issue wasn't the timing. The real issue was their priorities. You see, they knew what they were supposed to do. But they cared more about their life, their happiness, their comfort, than they did about the things of God. Let's give it to, to you in 2018 church speak, okay? Somebody comes up to you and says, we need help in this ministry, and, and we just, we feel as though you would be the person who, who could do this job. Will you do it? Now, you don't really want to do it. So what do you say? I, let, let me pray about it. Because you don't want to be a jerk and say I no right to their face. You say, let me pray about it. Now, let's be honest here. Don't miss this. All right, I'm not saying that you should not pray over every decision, whether it seems big or small. We ought to pray for the will of God to be done. Okay? What we're against is because what the Bible is against is this. We want to blame God for our disobedience. We want to blame God because we just don't feel like doing it. That's where we have the problem here, okay? You can't make excuses of disobedience to God's will. Now, for Israel here, God had already said, build the temple. There were two ways that we know God told him that. Number one, he moved in Cyrus, again, a Gentile king. Cyrus wrote the decree to send them home. And Cyrus paid for it. Now, let me ask you something. If at the end of this service, 
the President of the United States comes walking through these doors and says, God laid it on my heart for you as a church to do this ministry that, that you've been praying about. I believe this is from God so much so that I'm going to sign an executive order that says the U.S. government's going to pay for that ministry. Okay. Anybody else need another sign? Because that which is hostile to Christianity is now helping spread it. Yep. I mean, we always say, oh, God, will you just show me a sign? Hello? There it was. Like two signs from them. But, but here they are. They're going, no, no, no. The timing isn't right. Now, why, why wasn't the timing right? Well, look there in verse 4. Verse 4 says, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? You see, they said it's the wrong time to build God's house, but it sure wasn't a problem for them to build their house. Now, these weren't just any houses, by the way. That, that word sealed, or in some of your translations, it may say paneled houses. These were houses that navigant. They were houses like the king or the royal family would live in. So again, this isn't a question of timing. It is a question of priorities. They prioritize their life, their happiness, their comfort, their satisfaction over the will of God. And this, I mean, let's honestly ask, are we any different? Do we often prioritize things other than the revealed will of God? This really the issue. The, the issue isn't so much what they were doing. The issue is their heart. The heart was not where God said it ought to be. The great evangelist Billy Sunday said, quote, an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. An excuse is, I'm going to give you something, and it's not going to be the truth, but it's going to get you off my back. See, the fact that they weren't obedient to God's will revealed two things about them. First, it revealed they didn't have faith that God could do what he said he was going to do. You know, oftentimes we, we talk about as a church, you know, we feel that God is leading us to do this. And if we feel it, pray about it, and, and we back it up with Scripture, but we don't do it, then what it is really showing is this. We don't have faith in God. We don't think that God will do what He said He would do. Now, the second thing that it reveals was this. They had misplaced priorities, which leads to the second biblical point this morning, and it is this. Start considering your ways. Look at verse 5. It says, Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. To consider your way means to give serious thought to or to examine something. It is a popular theme in Scripture. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 40 tells us to consider our ways, that is to test or examine 
ourselves. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. We are told continuously to examine ourselves. That is to look intently at how we are living. For while Israel was saying one thing, their actions were portraying a very different reality. So again, I would ask, what about us? Do our actions reflect our words? Or do our actions refute our words? This people here is saying the timing isn't right. But what their lives revealed was their priorities weren't right. This is a truth that you and I need to hear this morning. Misplaced priorities always lead to mismanaged resources. When my heart is not right, then nothing else in my life will be right. When my relationship with God isn't right, my relationship with my wife won't be right. When I do not remember that which God has forgiven me for, I will not readily forgive those who hurt me. So misplaced priorities will always lead to mismanaged resources. Now you're asking, where is that in the text? That's a great question. Let's look at it. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me, please. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. Now, what does he mean, go up to the mountain and bring the wood? I mean, we've already seen that in Ezra chapter 3, Cyrus issued the decree giving Israel all the wood that she would need to rebuild this temple. What happened to all that wood that Cyrus gave them? Well, this is where I'm going to call your attention to verse 4. O ye to dwell in your sealed houses. Israel had stolen from God. Because the blessings that God gave them, they wasted on themselves. All that wood that Cyrus gave them to rebuild the temple? No, no, no. They went and built their mansion. Misplaced priorities lead to mismanaged resources. But are we really any different? Think of all the blessings, all the resources that God has given us. Can we honestly before God say today that everything that God has given me, I am using for God's glory and for the spreading of the gospel, then we are stealing from God. Let me see if I can illustrate in a couple of different ways. When does a church have a yard sale? When its members get new stuff and they don't have room in their house to to keep the new stuff and the old stuff? Now, hold on, because let me ask this question. You're going to love this one. What condition is most of that stuff that is given to the church for that yard sale? 
It's old and it's worn out. It's stuff that we would be embarrassed to give to our friends and our family, but we have no problem pawning it off on the church. Now, how is this any different than what Israel is doing? They were keeping the best for themselves and they were giving God the leftovers. But maybe it's not about a yard sale. Let me ask it another way. Do we personally give God our best? Do we make sure to shut it down a little early on Saturday night so that we can get a good night's rest? So we can wake up on time. So that we can show up to church a little early and fellowship with the brothers and sisters in Christ. And then focus our heart and our minds on God for worship. Or do we live it up on Saturday so we can limp into Sunday? And instead of focusing our minds and hearts on God to worship Him, we are focused on those around us. See, when we don't give God our best, church, we are guilty of two sins. First, we displease the Lord. You see, God is honored, He is glorified when we sacrifice for Him. The second sin is we disgrace Him. When you and I do not give God our best, what we say is this. God, you are not worthy of my best. Now, we would never in a million years think of actually saying that out loud. But when you and I refuse to give God our best, we're just saying, God, you're not worth my best. You are worth whatever I can muster to give you. We have to start examining our hearts and our minds, and our motives, which will hopefully lead to the third biblical point this morning, and it is this. Begin to serve the Lord. In verses 5 to 11, we saw Israel was working really hard, but they were getting very little in return. There was a low ROI, a low return on investment. They sowed enough seed to have enough food, but people were hungry. They had jobs, but they didn't have money to pay their bills. They had large vineyards, but they were never satisfied with their thirst. Now, why is this happening? Well, it's because of what God had told Israel a thousand years or so before this. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1, and then verse 15. God said, if you obey my word, I will bless you. But if you disobey me, you will feel my judgment. Israel here is feeling the judgment of God because they have disobeyed the word of God. And again, I would ask, are we any different? See, when God speaks, church, the only proper response is wholehearted obedience. When God speaks, it is not the time to go, well, God, is that really what you want? What about doing this? 
It's not time to bargain with God. It is time to obey God. And that's why this morning I believe instead of making excuses, we should instead be making confession for our sin and seeking God's help to be obedient to Him. Because whatever God is calling us to, as individuals, as families, as a church, it cannot be accomplished apart from the Spirit of God. It is God who builds the church. It is the Word that builds the church up. And so if we're working hard, and we're getting a little return on that investment, we need to ask a question. God, am I doing this in my power or your power? God, am I doing my will or am I doing your will? Because little is much when God is in it. God took an entire nation years after this. Took an entire nation. And in 52 days, they built an entire wall around a city. All right? and, and they didn't have these big, heavy machinery to go and do it. 52 days they would build a wall around a city. Why? Because they had heard the word of God. They knew the will of God. And so they did it. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings judgment. Which leads to this question, so what? I mean, how can we possibly apply these two verses? Two points of application. First, begin where you are. Are you making excuses for an area of your life that you know you're living in sin? Excuses for why you maybe don't attend church more. Why you don't read the Bible more. Why you don't serve in the church more. You know, we often say, well, I can't do anything more. Yet it often dawns on me that we always have time and money to do the things that we really want to do. And and so I, I would encourage us to, instead of saying I can't, remove the word can't and let's put the word won't. Now, let's be honest with God. It's not that I can't do it. It's I don't want to do it. I won't do it. But we got to get to this point where we are honest with God. Because if anything is going to change in our lives and in our families and in our church, then we're going to have to be honest. And it requires us to ask God to do something. And it's found in Psalm 139. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, God. I want to take off the mask. I want to take off the facade. God, search me. Reveal who I am. Reveal who you are. And lead me in a way that honors you. Lead me in a way that glorifies you. That makes much of Jesus. Justin. If God is revealing a sin in your life, then confess it. 
Oh, I know, it's easier to ignore it. It's easier to go, well, yeah, I may be doing this, but what about that person? Like, that's a pastor, or, or that's some other leader in a church. Look at what they're doing. Guess what? You're not called to be like me or another leader. We're called to be like Jesus. Confess it. See, it's because of his mercy and grace that you're even here today hearing this message at this time. God is speaking. He is reaching out because of his grace, his mercy, and his love for you. The question is, are you going to reach back? So begin with where you are. Then, number two, step out in faith. One of my favorite questions to ask is this, what's next? What's the next step? What's the next step in my walk with God? For some of you here this morning, you need to step out in faith by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been going to church for a while, maybe most of your life. You know the hymns, you know the contemporary songs, you can probably quote an awful lot of verses. But you've never come to that point where you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And so God is saying you need to place your faith in me today. You've been like Israel here in the book of Haggai. Life has been all about you. And even with all the stuff you've got, you still find yourself searching for love, joy, peace, happiness, and purpose. And the reason you're still looking for it is because you've never come to the one who can actually give it to you. See, the things of this world, they're temporary. They may give you pleasure for a little bit, but eventually they're going to leave you dry and dead. It's why people jump from thing to thing, from job to job, from relationship to relationship. Because they're looking for everything in the wrong place. Because only what God can give us can satisfy us. You were created by God. And you were created for God, not stuff. So the step for you today is to humble yourself, to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. For some of you, the next step in your walk is believer's baptism. You've professed Jesus Christ as Lord, but you've never followed him in being baptized. Now let's be honest, baptism does not save a person. Baptism is an evidence that you have been saved. But do not miss this. That baptism was done by Christ and it is commanded by Christ. Matthew 28 verse 19. And so maybe that step that you need to do is to say, I need to follow in baptism. I need to preach my first ever sermon by getting in the water. For some of you, God is saying it's time to become a part of Westlake Baptist Church as a member. Now, I'm going to go ahead and stipulate this to you. You will not find a verse that says you have to go join a local body. It's not going to put it that way. However, I can point you to about 15 or more verses in the New Testament that show us that being a member of a local body and worshiping Praying, studying, serving in that body is what God has called us to do. One of the first places I point you is going to be Ephesians chapter 4. Because all those spiritual gifts, and it's also in 1 Corinthians 12. You heard 
uh, before we sang, Oh, Church Arise, you heard that passage in 1 Corinthians. Guess what? All those spiritual gifts, they were given to who? The church. Believers. They were given to the church for the building up of the church. And so today, you may need to take that step in that direction. In a moment, we're going to sing our our invitation, and and you can come up here, and we'll begin to talk. We we have a process that we go through, but that's where you need to to start. For some of you, your next step is God's calling you to serve Him here at Westlake. You feel the conviction from God about sitting here week after week as a spectator, and God's saying, get up off the bench. It's time for you to get into the game. So will you be obedient? For some of you, it's continuing to serve right where you are. Because that's where God's called you and gifted you. It's where you find the the purpose and some of your closeness to God. Now, I'm going to grant you, it'd be a whole lot easier just to go, nope, not going to do it. I just want to sit here and, and just do it. It's easier to sit sour and soak. But God has called us to serve. So will you keep serving? Because your walk with God depends on it. And the success of the church being what God's called us to be depends on it. Still for others, your next step is getting into a small group Bible study. We call it Sunday school. Though we do have a small group studies that meet from time to time off campus you sit here and worship week after week and that's great thank you I I don't ever want to take you for granted but if you really want to get serious about your walk with God you really want to grow get involved in a Sunday school class they meet here every single week 945 all over this building get involved because it, it's, you come in here and we corporately worship. You go there, man, it's the nuts and bolts. It, it's how you grow closer to your church family. And it's how you dive deeper into the word of God. So maybe that's where you need to start. You want to know what classes we have? See me after service. I'm more than happy. We're going to start highlighting them as much as we can. Because we want people to be a part of them. Here's the point. Every single person in this room, at the 830 service and in this service, each of us has a next step to take on our spiritual journey with Jesus. Because of what Philippians 1, 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he that has begun a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. He's begun it. It's not done yet. The question is this. Will we be obedient today? And will we take that next step? Would you stand with me as we're going to pray together?